Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Welcome back to Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. And you're listening to B-Side Stories, stories of the people who make Wellington tick. And my name's Sadie Coe. We've switched around our guest today, as you may have noticed, because we had some dramas with the phone lines. But we think it's all fixed now. So I'm going to be talking to Mike Styles. Mike Styles is a dyslexia and neurodiversity consultant who's based on the Kapiti Coast. He's a literacy advisor to the Primary Industry Training Organisation and has been involved with adult literacy and numeracy provision for over 20 years. Mike recently launched his book, Congratulations, You Have Dyslexia, Great Minds Think Differently, and he's set up a petition asking the government to initiate an inquiry into dyslexia across all parts of the economy. Now, Mike, let's check it. Are you there? Yes, I am, Sadie. Oh, this is great news. (laughs) Welcome to B-Side Stories. How are you doing? Because um, Mike's actually got COVID at the moment. Yes, so this is a this is a special COVID issue of of Access Radio. No, I figured that I could still do this because no way I can affect anybody over the radio waves. I hope so. So, um, first of all, I mean, my daughter has dyslexia, as you know, so I'm reasonably afraid with what it means. But for anybody who doesn't know what dyslexia means, could you explain that? Yes, um, well, I'll, I'll start off with a very simple definition, uh, a sort of a layman's definition. Dyslexia is a condition where intelligent people struggle with text. They struggle with reading, writing and spelling. So that's the sort of the layperson's definition. We could then go a, sort of a, a slightly more um, educational, I suppose, definition would be that dyslexia is a a neurological condition where the the brain is wired slightly differently and the most obvious external symptom of it is that people with dyslexia struggle with phonological decoding, which is a fancy name for the um, process whereby we decode the link between groups of letters and sounds and then words. So people with dyslexia struggle with that bit. Most of us learn this decoding as we learn to read, uh, but people with dyslexia don't. They struggle with that part of it. And that's what they end up with. Uh, with well, they, That's the condition, dyslexia, and they end up with struggles with not being able to read, write, and in particular spell. Spell is the most difficult part. Spelling is the most difficult. Okay. Because I think traditionally people probably think um, of dyslexia as just being not able to read, but why is spelling so difficult? Yeah, well, that's a very good question. The, the, the reality is that um, people with dyslexia, if they've been, good, been given exposure to reading, writing and spelling, they can become moderately good readers, but they largely pick read. In other words, they they see the word and they recognise it and in their memory bank they say, oh yes, that's the word banana or whatever. Whereas somebody without dyslexia, if 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 they see a word they've never seen before, they can apply the rules of sounding out and work out how to 
pronounce that word, even if they've never seen it before. And that's the distinction, if you like. And, and that, it gets to be more of a problem with spelling because many people with dyslexia report to me, uh, if I saw the word spelt three different ways, I would likely be able to recognise the right one, but I couldn't tell you why. Mm-hmm. And they just don't have that link between groups and letters and sounds. But here's the interesting sideline, um, Sadie, that, that probably explains a lot of things. English is a mongrel bitsa language. I've, I, somebody growled at me, or somebody complained at me one day for saying that, but the reality is it is. It's made up of so many different languages, you know, so many origins, and it has so many exceptions to the rules that make it very difficult for somebody with dyslexia to master the reading, writing, and in particular the spelling of mm. English. You know, there are so many words that do not follow the rules. You think of the word island. Why has the word island got an S in it? That makes no sense. And you think of the word choir. Choir shouldn't be spelt um, C-H-O-I-R. It should be spelt maybe K-W-I-E-R. But so there are thousands, thousands of words that break the rules. But here's a sort of a treaty of Waitangi Chireo component of this, and that is that we believe that Chireo is would be an easier language for somebody with dyslexia to master. I can tell you that for my daughter, when she was learning Tireo, she found it a lot easier to learn than English. Right. Yeah. And it's because Chireo follows the rules. Yeah. Like, I am not... I, I can read a few phrases of Te Reo, but I do, I'm not, not a speaker of Te Reo, but if somebody gave me a passage of Te Reo, I could read it moderately well. I wouldn't understand it, but I can read it because the rules are consistent, and that's what makes the difference. Italian is another language that follows the rules better than, say, German or French or English do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... What got you interested in working with dyslexia? Well, it was kind of a funny journey, really. I was a secondary school teacher for a long time, uh, and then I, I sort of got... Um, I wanted a change, and so I moved... I'd been working with... I'd been doing night classes at Kapiti College. They're now called community education classes, but they used to be called night classes, and I found that I really enjoyed for a change working with adults. I've always enjoyed working with teenagers, but it was a a sort of a novelty working with adults. So I moved out of secondary education into tertiary education and working with adults who had low literacy skills. And I found that that was an interesting field to move into. And I worked in that for for, in, in several different roles. And then finally... I got a job working for what was the AG ITO, which is now the primary ITO, and I discovered that a lot of the uh, literacy and numeracy problems 
were down to undiagnosed and unsupported dyslexia, which led me down a little bit of a um, journey, I suppose, into looking to see what we could do better for um, the... It would be, I'm guessing, 20% of young apprentices and others in the agriculture and horticulture sector have dyslexia, and it, in most cases it hadn't been diagnosed. And I, I sort of ended up moving into this sort of slightly empty field where there wasn't a lot being done in New Zealand. And so I, I suppose it was a matter of right time, right place. I had a very supportive boss at um, primary ITO, and we we did some stuff. We uh, I funded myself to go to some conferences overseas to upskill myself, came back to New Zealand. We developed a wraparound support package for people with dyslexia. We then conducted a research project to evaluate how well that um, wraparound support package had worked. Uh, and then fortunately, I was fortunate enough then, having conducted the research project and had it written up, I was fortunate enough to go overseas and present the findings of our uh, New Zealand-based research at some overseas conferences. And here's the funny thing, I suppose, in a way. So around the world, there are lots and lots and lots of research going on, has been over the last 20 years or so, into dyslexia in primary school-age youngsters. A lot, not quite as much, but a lot also in a research into secondary school youngsters and how dyslexia affects them. But there was, and still is, very little at tertiary level and at workplace level. It just so happened that our research in New Zealand was at tertiary level, industry training level and workplace level, and there wasn't much research going on around the world, and so our research got a bit of an audience. There was sort of um, an appetite for it, and so um, I, I got to present at conferences in Europe and in the UK and also in Australia. It and seems so surprising, that, really, that that, happened. you know, in a way that that was new research because dyslexia has presumably been around as long as people have been had to sit in school and have to write and read. Yes, yeah, so it has been. And two things have made a big difference uh, in our understanding and awareness of dyslexia. One is um, through things like MRI scans and other brain research, our knowledge of the brain and how it works has escalated enormously in the last two or three decades. Secondly, linked to that, the fact that um, the human genome has been unravelled and we now have uh, decoded the human genome, we've now been able to make links between different genes and dyslexia. So our understanding of dyslexia has grown enormously, probably in the last, well, probably 25 years, it's grown enormously. Um, we've had a bit of a problem here in New Zealand in that the Ministry of Education in New Zealand officially denied 
the existence of dyslexia until 2007. That's shocking, really, isn't it? Actually, isn't that very long ago? In 2007, they did a 180-degree turn and said, oh, whoops, it does exist. What they sadly didn't do, they didn't send the memo to the other government agencies. And so New Zealand government agencies are largely unaware of dyslexia. People in New Zealand still think that it's a... It's an issue that only impacts on education. And sadly, it's much bigger than that. So, for example, in what areas are you thinking? Right, so I was fortunate enough... By the way, I no longer work for the primary industry training organisation. I've moved and I'm, I'm now a private uh, consultant. But in, back in 2018, I think... I did a research project with the corrections department. And so I, uh, we did a, a screening of New Zealand prison inmates and we found that 50% of prison inmates show up as positive for dyslexia. Now, the wider proportion of dyslexia in the wider population worldwide is about 10%, but it expands to 50% amongst prison inmates. Now, that's an enormously large figure, but it's, interestingly enough, almost um, exactly correlates with similar research done in the States, in the United States, in the United Kingdom, and in Sweden. And um, so, so what does there that, is a link what do you think to that indicates? the justice system. Right. The people that um, get shortchanged in the education system uh, then end up being sidelined in the world of work and often don't even get jobs. And so they find another way mm. of making a buck, and that's sometimes on the wrong side of the law, often on the wrong side of the law. Right, so, so they needed more support earlier. Yeah, So and um, you see, back to my original definition, people with dyslexia are clever, but they struggle with text. So those inmates that are behind bars, they would have been likely to be dropouts at the school system, but they're still clever. They're not stupid people. So in the United States, there is a phrase that I think is sickeningly sad. When talking about dyslexic neurodiverse people, they talk about the school to prison pipeline. Oh, God. In other words, these people are just generally um, more likely to end up behind bars. Now, that's, that's disturbing. And the same thing applies here in New Zealand. I mean, what a waste of all those what a waste. smart and there is brains. A, I don't, there's another term you may, and your listeners may or may not have heard of it. There's a term used in government circles called NEETS. NEETS is a term not in education, employment or training. That's a term used by government agencies like NSD and Education, um, Work and Income, for young people that are a little bit lost. I did a screening project amongst these people and I found that 50% type figure also existed amongst those people. And 
the cynical me would say, actually, um, these people are inmates in waiting. These are young people that have lost their way, couldn't fit in the school system because they got mocked or whatever, mm -hmm. and they've now, um, you know, they're lost and, and, and don't have a good way forward because, let's face it, these days you need bits of paper behind your name. It's such a slippery slope, isn't it? World. Once you start to believe you're stupid, it's so it's much harder to try something new, because, and especially if you're going to be mocked or called stupid. Yep, and it's so it sad, because they're not. fulfilling prophecy. Yes. So, Sadie, I have a brother, and this is one of the other reasons why I got into this, is only, I only managed to join the dots relatively recently. I've got a brother who has dyslexia, when he was at primary school, and I didn't realise it then, I just thought, oh, he's a bit slow. Um, when he was at primary school, he was bullied, not by the other kids, but by the principal, who thought the solution to make my brother learn was to strap him. Now, he, um, to this very day, he's now almost 80, he still has a, a, a very low self-esteem and a very low confidence, all brought about by the fact that he had such a poor experience when he was at school. Oh, and that poor little boy. It just makes so you weep. And, and look, I meet countless examples of people who break out into a cold sweat every time they go near a, a school because of they reminded of the terrible time they had when they were at school. So what's the answer to that? Well, um, there are some answers. The, the irony is, Sadie, is the answers aren't very expensive. So here right. are the answers. First of all, a little bit of a, a, a change in our legislation so that dyslexia is identified as a thing. Uh, had some status and some identification, that children in the school system who are falling behind in reading are provided with a state-funded uh, assessment, uh, identification of their dyslexia. It's not overly expensive. They're then given some... They're taught in a slightly different way by the teachers. The other big change that needs to happen is that our teaching force needs, when they're training to be teachers... They need to be given some training how to identify dyslexia, how to pick up on the telltale signs, and how to teach children in a different way that meets their needs. Now, there is a little bit of progress taking place here to this degree that some of your listeners may have heard of a thing called the, um, the Structured Literacy Programme. It's a new way of teaching reading in schools that accounts for the dyslexic brain and it um, gives them a better chance of mastering English. Now, we talked, before, sorry for getting off on a tangent, we talked a little bit before about the other things that are impacted by uh, dyslexia, not just education. The biggest single worry, I think, is that dyslexia comes with a whole lot of pluses 
linked to the challenges of dyslexia. We know that they are creative. We know that they're innovative. You know, John Britton and Richard Taylor, two New Zealand dyslexic people, were creative successes for a reason. They both had dyslexia. Bill Gates is successful for a reason. He's, he's dyslexic. Now, New Zealand, in the workplace, we don't understand dyslexia, therefore we don't give workers, employees or employers, with it a chance to develop and show the positive side of their dyslexia. So that's, I think, a, a waste of productivity. So I've been trying now for the last two years to persuade MB that they should be taking note of dyslexia when they try to improve the productivity of New Zealanders. Because we've got 10% of New Zealanders whose extra contribution to the workplace isn't being used right now because no one understands it. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing we've only got one more minute, by the way. So um, I'm guessing this is what your petition is all about that you've launched. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and what people can do if they want to sign it or support the petition? For um, a government inquiry into dyslexia, some sort of changes to our legislation system to um, ensure that teachers are capable and resourced to meet the needs of this 10% of, of youngsters. It calls for some inquiry into the impact of dyslexia on our the mental health of New Zealanders, on the justice system, on the nation's productivity, on employment versus unemployment, as well as education. So it's a big thing that's getting in the way, and it's an equity problem, Sadie, but it is also a productivity issue. We, okay, well, we need to address this. And so that's what the that's what the petition is calling for. Okay. It was meant to be presented tomorrow, but as I've got COVID... Mike, we're about to go off air, so I'm going to put links to all that on, on the Facebook page. And thank you so much for coming in when you're unwell. That programme was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.